It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Twitter Tuesday here on this podcast, and we got a lot of good stuff to get into on this podcast, and I love Tuesdays because you control the discussion, and I talk about the things that you ask me to talk about. So let's get into those items. The first one today comes from The Real Underdog, who says, do you think the Bills will draft and sign a free agent wide receiver? Well, I think a lot of us believe that the number one need that this team has is scoring more points, and the way to do that is to get more weapons, and so I think you can make a pretty strong case that a wide receiver is the single most important need for the Bills to fill this offseason. And with that in mind, I hope the Bills do sign and draft a free agent. I don't think it's one of those deals where you want to go into this thing, this next season, where you're really hoping Josh Allen answers all your questions. You're hoping to get back to the postseason. You're hoping for the offense to find more consistency and score more points. You feel like the way to do that is to get another target, another meaningful weapon in the passing game for Josh Allen and to put all your bet your eggs into the basket of a wide receiver picked in the mid 20s. So with that in mind, I think the Bills should find a meaningful veteran and they should also consider drafting one. Now if you get the right meaningful veteran, you can kick the can on that need and maybe think about that on day 2 and you've heard me talk about all the outstanding receivers that have been drafted on day 2 and how you don't have to fix the problem with a first-round pick. Heck, we talked about it with Greg on Friday. Two of the most exciting playmakers that the Bills have offensively are third-round pick Devin Singletary and third-round pick Dawson Knox. So you can find playmakers outside of the first round. And given the importance of the need, I hope that the Bills invest potentially multiple draft picks in addition to finding a veteran receiver just like they have in the past. I mean, Cole Beasley and John Brown were really good pickups. Uh, they've been able to get you know safeties like Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. Those weren't break-the-bank type players but are filling important roles for the team. Well, let's, let's get one more of those at wide receiver. Next one here comes from Alex who says, I wanted to talk about Lee Smith. There have been some rumors about cutting him to save cap space. I think that would be a mistake. I understand at times the penalties get frustrating – But in the Bills' running game, I believe having a blocking tight end is important. Knox and Sweeney both are not close to being able to fill that role, and their blocking technique needs help. I think having a veteran uh, tight end who is also a great leader will be a big asset in and off the field with developing uh, developing our young tight ends. And um, I don't disagree with you, Alex. I, I think there was a lot of frustration from Lee Smith early in the season because he didn't play or he doesn't play a ton of snaps, but when he's on the field, he was just getting so many penalties and it was really costing the offense and taking away some really good plays. And, you know, one of those deals where we talked about inconsistency with the offense and the one thing you don't want is the guy that exists on your team for blocking purposes to hold and have penalties called against them and have negative plays when you're looking to get positive yardage in the run game. 
I think those problems went away down the stretch in the season. I think it's something that's getting a little bit lost in our discussion right now is that Lee Smith's penalties didn't really pop up as much later in the season. They were kind of prevalent there for a stretch, and it went away. Lee Smith is a big-time leader for the football team, and he doesn't cost much. The Bills have almost $90 million in cap space, and I think right around three of that is committed, or $3 million in total cap space is committed to Lee Smith. I mean, he's a very modestly paid player that's regarded as the best at what he does in the league, and he's a good leader. So, I mean, you, you've seen some of those interactions with Josh Allen, some of the comments he's made about Josh Allen. Your point is well taken about Knox and Sweeney being in the room and needing a meaningful veteran to help mentor them. You've heard Dawson Knox specifically talk about how much Lee Smith has meant to him. And so, no, when I start pointing fingers at Bill's players that I want out of the building, Lee Smith is 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 very low on the list of, of players that I take much exception with being on the team. And the cap space is a wash to me because the Bills aren't in – in cap hell and he doesn't command much of it to begin with matt says if you had to pick out of the upcoming draft the potential long-term backup for josh allen who would you choose um the guy that that seems the most interesting to me as a potential mid-round quarterback that has some appeal to be a long-term backup or a guy that has a chance to start eventually is aaron gordon from washington state uh has some good physical tools had a productive year obviously at washington state He's the guy that gets me excited. Now, there's other receivers, or excuse me, other quarterbacks I like, but they're going to go in the first round, uh, early second round. You know, I think about Jacob Eason from Washington or Jordan Love from Utah State. Those are going to be, you know, top 40 picks. And so I don't think the Bills are really in position to, to land one of them. And then as you kind of move down the list, I just, I don't know, I, I don't get excited about a lot of these guys. Nate Stanley from Iowa, no thanks. Steven Montez from Colorado, no thanks. Bryce Perkins is sort of interesting, but he's like a late day three guy. Brian Lewerke from Michigan State, hard pass. I mean, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma. I mean, would he be interesting in like the third or fourth round? Could you get backup quarterback ability from him and like maybe some like Taysom Hill type stuff? Maybe, but that's the kind of appeal that he has for me. Not a guy that I ever project as a long-term asset at backup quarterback. But, you know, I think – he would be interesting because of the versatility he can bring to the table. So the Bills drafted a quarterback. I'd hope their names were either Aaron Gordon or Jalen Hurts. Next one here comes from Roy, who says, would Kenyon Drake be a running back worth pursuing uh, during free agency? Contract-wise, my guess would be somewhere between 6 to $8 million a year. Quality back, but do you think maybe he's looking to be a number one back for a team, or would he be okay with splitting reps? One other item, considering all the quarterbacks that will likely be available in free agency, do you think the Bills might look for a replacement for Barkley? And then he mentions Bridgewater, Mariota, Keenum, or maybe even Tannehill. Kenyon Drake's a good football player. And we saw that at times at Miami, and then we saw him really take off with the Arizona Cardinals. A good a good receiving back. He's got good size. He's physical. Um, there's a lot to like about Kenyon Drake. I think somebody's going to look at him and say, yeah, we, we want that guy to be our starter. It might be the Arizona Cardinals. Um, yeah, I think you're right in terms of contract demands. I think on the low end, it'll be $6 million. I think it could push $8, 9000000 million a season. You have to ask yourself, do you want to commit that type of cap space to running back? Now, the Bills are in good shape because their lead back is Devin Singletary, and he's, you know, what he said. I talked about it yesterday. He signed like a four-year, $3.9 million contract. I mean, you've got such a great um, asset there in terms of him not commanding a high percentage of your cap. So you feel like maybe you can commit some more resources to the position. 
It does come back to that question, though. What does Kenyon Drake see him as? Does he want to be the undisputed lead focal point of a backfield, or is he okay with being in a true um, backup role to a Devin Singletary? Or maybe he's a guy that would almost be like uh, a 40-60 type split with Singletary. I think he's interesting because I think he's the type of playmaker that could be meaningful uh, in the backfield for the Bills. But I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, would you want to pay that type of money? If you feel like the Bills are in good cap space and you've achieved all that you wanted to do with extensions and adding some new pieces and you have enough space set aside to sign your draft class and make in-season moves and you feel good about your cap space moving forward, then, yeah, I think you look at him as a luxury, maybe a player that with a quarterback on a rookie deal, you think you can absorb that that salary a bit and it makes sense. I think Kenyon Drake's a good football player. I just I kind of wrestle with what he's going to cost. And I know that he kind of has relatively low tread on his tires, just given him never being a, a lead back either in Miami, Alabama, where he played in college, or you know he did for a little bit with Arizona, but by and large for a running back that's entering a second contract, he's got pretty – uh, pretty low usage. So he's interesting to me. I'll say that. He's interesting to me. Interesting to me. I'll understand that if the Bills were to sign him, I think he's a good player. Um, it's just, you know, it's always about that valuation when it comes to running backs. Mac Buffalo says McDermott likes to have a veteran in every room. Astute observation there. Uh, if Gore isn't back next year, who around the league would be a good fit to come in and, and be the veteran in the running back room uh, for 2020, assuming Devin Singletary wouldn't be the veteran? So, we just talked a lot about Kenyon Drake, and I think that he's the name you should mention. And so I went through the free agent running back list in preparation for this question, and I wrote down the names that were at least interesting to me. And a lot of these guys I wouldn't expect the Bills to sign because of the price tag or because of um, other concerns. So the next guy is Kareem Hunt. I just, look, with his recent issue and past issues, I don't see the Bills going after him. Melvin Gordon from the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, two years ago, I think he was one of the best backs in the league. Sat out this past year, kind of lost timing with the offense. The offensive line in, in L.A. really was terrible this year. Um, but I think he values himself as a as a player that's going to get paid a lot of money. We'll see what he gets, right? He held out and didn't get an extension in Los Angeles. So it'll be interesting to see what his uh, value on the market is. But he's interesting to me. Um, I think that he could at least command the type of money we just talked about for Kenyon Drake. And then the two guys that I thought were kind of bargain bin guys, guys that made sense. Uh, Chris Thompson, he's from the Washington Redskins. He's a really good receiving back. He's had a lot of trouble staying healthy, but I think when healthy, he's one of the most meaningful receiving running backs in the NFL. And then Jalen Richard from the Raiders is a veteran that's got some athletic ability. So not a whole lot of interesting players there, and that's why I kind of like the idea of going with um, you know mid-round rookie. But, yeah, to your point, we just know that they like to have a veteran. And maybe that veteran's TJ Yeldon, who's already on the team. So maybe you go out and your, your running back room looks like Devin Singletary, TJ Yeldon, Pat DeMarco, and Chris Thompson. Maybe that's the room. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Daniel says, if that draft, if the draft goes like your last mock and Green Bay calls asking to trade up, if you were Bean, would you take it? Would you be okay with letting LaVisca Chenault get away? So Green Bay picks at... Number 30 overall. So the Bills would trade back eight spots, probably net a day two pick, maybe something else. Um, And so as a draft guy, I love draft picks. And so I love the idea of getting more draft picks. With that said, the Bills kind of have a decent amount of capital this year, nine picks. Um, I do like the idea of adding another one on day two. I love that flexibility. But I think at 22, the Bills are going to be able to get a meaningful player. 
I'm finishing up some of my evaluations this year, and I think I'm going to have around 25 players graded with first-round grades. And so at 22, I feel certain that I can get one of those players. At 30, it becomes a little less likely. Um, so I would have to look. I would have to look at the time the Bills were on the clock at pick 22. I'd have to look and say, are there eight guys that I'd be comfortable with getting in the first round? If so, then I'd, I'd, I'd take the move. But if you feel like you have to have LaVisca Chanel, he's the player that can absolutely be the weapon you're looking for offensively and take the offense to the next level and become more consistent and keep things on schedule, well, then you turn in the card for LaVisca Chenault. If A.J. Epinesa, the edge rusher from Iowa, falls to 22, you turn to the card for A.J. Epinesa. Same thing with Caleb on Chason from LSU. There's certain talent that I just wouldn't trade away from. So that all matters. There's so much to, to take into account there. I know that you specifically mentioned my mock draft that I, I wrote for uh, last week. Um, but the reality is the Bills stayed there and took the LaVisca, LaVisca Chenault, and I think he's a player that I'd love for the Bills to come out of the first round with, and I wouldn't part with a you know, mid-day two pick um, to not have that opportunity. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Bills is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Buffalo Bills fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Lockdown gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any listener, a Lockdown podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Bills fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Lockdown podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Next one here comes from J.O. Hey, Joe, when do compensatory picks get announced to lock down the draft order? Last year, they were announced on February 22nd, so I think we're probably a month away from hearing what those are. I don't expect the Bills to get a compensatory pick, but it will be nice to say, yeah, we know exactly what picks the Bills have in every single round, but I'll expect that uh, towards the end of February if it's consistent with when they were released last year. Chet says, Zach Bond is Lorenzo Alexander 2.0, changed my mind. Um, so Zach Bond is a Wisconsin hybrid defender, does a lot of the stuff that Lorenzo Alexander does, right? He plays Sam linebacker, he tacks gaps as a blitzer, and he lines up on the edge and rushes the passer. And so if you were looking for a player that you thought had a chance to fill that role that Lorenzo Alexander did, Zach Bond's a guy you should target. Um, Caleb on chase on from LSU is another player that you should target. So I, I don't disagree with you. I think in a lot of ways you can see them doing the same things. 
Um, one thing that I will say is, you know, Lorenzo Alexander really didn't start being the Lorenzo Alexander that we know until 2016 or something like that. And so what's so unique about Zoe is, is what he does is, is just not really common. And, you know, it was a decade plus into his NFL career before he started doing both things and going into both linebacker meetings and defensive line meetings. And so you have to think about that when you're expecting a young player that has never played in the NFL, that has a, a whole lot of adjusting and acclimating to do to being in both rooms and, and being able to do both of those things. Well, you know, sometimes I, I get nervous about putting too much on somebody's plate and then they just never get great at any one thing. So I think you can project them into that type of role. I think expecting that to happen soon in their career is just a, a really challenging ask and something that I, I wouldn't put on the plate of a, of a rookie type player. And, and I mean, that's what's so excited about Caleb on chase on is he's only start. I think he started less than 30 games at LSU. And if you watch him this year, he did that stuff. And that's just really uncommon. It speaks to, you know, what they trust, you know, obviously his football IQ and um, what type of worker he is to get himself prepared, to get himself prepared to do all those different roles. Next one here comes from Taylor, who says, when scouting wide receivers, how do you factor in the difference of scheme in which the wide receiver is in and also the discrepancy in quarterback talent throwing them the ball? Does the difference in talent cover uh, covering them play a factor? Stats can be misleading without context. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not just about they were a productive receiver in college because there's a lot of really productive college receivers that don't do a thing in the NFL. So I would refer back to a lot of the stuff I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, on a Friday podcast talking about size receivers and how just being big isn't the only thing that matters. But I do I do look at a lot of those things and I apply them to the you know, other types of receivers as well. I think there's a lot of nuance to playing the position, how they run routes, how they get off the line of scrimmage, how they sell breaks, how do they bend their, rent, their route stems, what is their leverage when they're running routes, what type of route pace do they have, you know, route variety, hands, ball skills, body control competitive toughness, length, can they extend catch radius? I mean, there's so many things that I'm looking for. And all the things that I just mentioned to you really don't have a whole lot to do with level of competition, scheme, or the quarterback. Now, somewhat scheme because what's on their plate, you can have cleaner evaluations in terms of forecasting that to the next level. But traits are traits. And whether you're a wide receiver at Central Michigan or at the University of Alabama, I can watch the stuff that I'm looking for, and it's not contingent on who they're lining up against and who's throwing them football. So, yeah, you've, you've absolutely got to keep that in mind. And think about like a guy like T. Higgins with Clemson. If Trevor Lawrence isn't throwing in the football this year, do you think he has that type of production? So there's a, it goes both ways. It's not just a, a guy that has an exciting skill set and doesn't have great production. It's the other side. It's guys with you know great production, but keeping in mind, all right, well, they have all these things, X, Y, and Z, and that's why you know, they were able to be so productive. So yeah, I think <laughs> I've got a long checklist of things that I'm keeping in mind uh, when I'm watching wide receivers. And the last thing I probably consider is stats, but I will say that good players are productive players. And that's probably what I love so much about DJ Moore. I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here, but DJ Moore out of Maryland, first round pick of the Carolina Panthers a couple of years ago, he was my number one receiver in that draft class, if I'm not mistaken. And what was so impressive about him is that Maryland was down to their third-string quarterback like in week one, and that dude was the only Big Ten receiver to have 1,000 yards. I thought that was really impressive. 
when everybody knows that the ball's going to you and they can't stop you, that's a sign of a good playmaker. And then DJ Moore, there was some statistic uh, about his season this year where he winds up having like 1,100 yards for the Carolina Panthers. And we have to remember that Kyle Allen was the guy throwing him the football this year. That's not their preferred quarterback. And so, you know, I, 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 I really, I really appreciate when everything isn't right for the player, right? They don't have great players around them. They don't have a great quarterback. They're playing in a good level of competition and they find ways to be productive despite all those variables. Yeah. That's when I really will get impressed by production and statistics. Next one here comes from Paul. Joe, why does it seem that everybody leaves the senior bowl before the actual game? They do all the work watching players practice. I'm surprised they don't want to be there to see up and close and personal how they perform in the actual game setting. Paul, I, I think this is a good question. I have a lot to say about this as somebody who's been to the senior bowl a lot. Um, I made the mistake of not going to the game the first year that I was there. I would never go to senior bowl week again and not stay for the game. I absolutely love that piece of it. I will concede that the most meaningful part of the week is the practices. So if you want to see what's most important, it is the practices, but I think there's a lot you can take away from the game. Um, you can see how, uh, what type of camaraderie they have with their teammates and you can see them execute in the game setting, right? And, and, uh, Sometimes you you focus so much on 1v1s and then you kind of lose the context of, well, there's a lot of built-in advantages for certain positions when it comes to 1v1s and you want to see them compete on a level playing field in the context of a football play. So I love that. Uh, it's not more meaningful than the than the practice, but I think a lot of, you know, for a lot of these people, it's it's tough, right? Cuz it's it's a whole week away from your family. So, you know, some people just, all right, I've seen what's most meaningful and I want to get back home. A lot of people, I did this last year, I went to Shrine game for a week, and then I went to Senior Bowl for a week. I was gone from home for 14 days. That's tough. Um, and a lot of people that you know that go down to Senior Bowl, they, it may not be their their only job that they have to cover the NFL draft. So I, I think there's a lot of things that play into it, but I think it's extremely v- valuable. I would never not go to the game. Uh, again, after I made that mistake the first year I went down there, I do always find it very interesting to see which um, teams are still at the game, uh, which personnel people are always there. And I will say this, the Bills always have a guy there. Every, ever since Dennis, Dennis Hickey was uh, part of the scouting staff, he's been at the Senior Bowl game. And so I've always um, appreciated that. Another guy you always see in the press box is Tom Donahoe, former Bills general manager. He works for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is at the Shrine game in the press box for the game and the senior bowl. And I, I, I just respect that a lot. And he's locked in. He's got his binoculars. He's got a big notepad taking, uh, taking notes and stuff. So, um, I do always appreciate, you know, kind of seeing who's in there and, and, um, you know, what type of focus they have. Dave Gettleman last year when I was there, he was, um, one of the few general managers that actually stuck around and was sitting in the box for the game as well. So, um, I, I kind of, I kind of appreciate those guys that are stick around and, and evaluate the game as well and, and, and take part of that piece of it. Next one here comes from Matt, who says, in round one, would you rather have Caleb on Chase on or T. Higgins with our first pick? I wouldn't, I'm going to say something here that maybe there's some shock value to this. I don't think the Bills should consider T. Higgins in the first round. I don't think he's a first-round caliber prospect. I don't think he would mean much for the Bills. He's a guy, he's a vertical receiver that wins down the field, with size and ball skills. His ability to make an impact is contingent on Josh Allen figuring out the deep ball. I need to know that the Bills' first-round pick can help the teams 
help the team in more ways, has more versatility, and isn't so reliant on Josh. I wrote an article that you're going to read today, you can, on the Draft Network about the right wide receiver for the Bills if the Bills were to go after a receiver in the first round. And I spent a lot of time in that article talking about why T. Higgins shouldn't be in consideration. So I'm not I'm not in on the T. Higgins to the Bills in the first round conversation whatsoever. I think Caleb on Chase on's a top 15 prospect in the class, and so getting him at 22, an impact edge rusher like that, is something that would get me really, really excited. Taylor says, I haven't heard much talk about Kenny Willekes as a target in the second round. What's your thoughts on his fit with the Bills? Kenny Willekes is a defensive end from Michigan State. Um, he's he's a likable player. He 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 plays hard every single snap. Um, competes hard against the run. Has some hustle plays against the rushing the passer where he really wins with second effort. But I think he's very much just a high effort guy. I don't know that he's he has a lot of physical gifts or traits that get me overly excited, especially in the second round. Earliest I'd probably think about Kenny Willickis is probably the third round, um, and I think he's probably more of a rotational prospect than a guy that you want commanding major snaps for your defensive line. So uh, he checked in at the Senior Bowl with pretty short arms, and that seemed to really impact his ability in 1v1s. It'll be tough for him to overcome in the NFL, and so I have some concerns about him on top of you know just that his kind of how he wins – isn't necessarily something that translates in a big way to the NFL, but also that he has some physical restrictions that show up on tape as well. So mid-round pick to me, not somebody I would consider in the second round. Next one here comes from Andrew who says, do you think we should sign Josh Allen to an early extension to save some money in the future just in case he has a breakout year? If we extend him now, it won't be as much as if he does have a breakout year. You have a good point, Andrew. Uh, I think the earlier you can sign players to extensions, the better. They'll never be less expensive than they are today. Uh, value just goes up and up. And so um, I'm always for getting ahead of extensions. Here's the problem. Josh Allen is not eligible for a contract extension until after next season. So he's not he, – they couldn't even have the conversation at this point. So um, we'll we'll have to look at what he how he plays in 2020 and start that conversation after next offseason. But as of now um, – the 2018 draft class is not eligible for contract extensions. Next one here comes from Bill, who says, he's got a couple here. Bill's first one is, you've said several times how this is a deep draft for wide receivers, so teams can reasonably wait until the second round or later and still have strong prospects available. Yet, in your TDN mock draft, you predict eight wide receivers going in round one and only two going in round two. Why? Appreciate the question, Bill. Um, so whenever I write mock drafts, especially this time of year, pre-free agency, I am mostly trying to satisfy top needs, the top need for teams, mostly because I don't want to get yelled at by fans. People just lose their friggin' minds over mock drafts. And, you know, they just people just kind of lose this perspective that there's more to fixing a team than, you know, this was a two-round mock draft. The first or second round pick, there's Seven rounds of the draft, there's all free agency, there's trades, there's other ways to get better than just those few picks that you see in a mock draft. Um, so I do I do feed into some of the feedback that I inevitably get, and I try to really focus in on what the top needs are, and I do think that there's a lot of teams that their primary need is wide receiver. I think there's a lot of good receivers in this year's draft class that could be taken in the first round, so that plays into it. And then to be completely honest with you, I didn't even realize that I did that until after I published this thing and tweeted it out and people started responding to me, letting me know that I had eight first round receivers. So 
that was uh, that was something I did not intentionally do. I think it was just me kind of being in tune with what I thought primary needs were, in tune with being uh, with what prospects were value, value available and that they were value for that pick, and um, that was kind of my focus. I, I didn't even re- like I said I didn't even realize it until after I published it. Um, I think you can pretty confidently say that eight receivers won't go in the first round, and I do think that you can get meaningful receivers after the first round. But for the sake of that mock draft 5.0, it's the way I had it going, and um, it'll change a lot here in the coming months. And I'll, you know, I do. A, I think I do a mock draft every four, four or five weeks. So my next one probably won't have that many receivers going in the first round. Second one from Bill was with all the draft capital Miami has acquired, wouldn't it make sense for them to trade up to Detroit's spot at number three overall to make sure some other quarterback needy team doesn't jump ahead of them to take two, assuming. Miami's doctor says he'll be fine. Perhaps give the Lions pick number five and 26 for number three. Yeah, I think so. I think the the Dolphins, if they like Tua, if they believe in Tua, which I think they should, I do, they should go get him. You shouldn't just sit there and, and hope nobody trades up in front of you. Um, You shouldn't just count on him falling to number five. I think you have to go get your guy. And it stings a little bit to give up a, another first-round pick to move up two spots. But the Dolphins have a lot of draft capital beyond the first round. They have three first-round picks this year. They have two next year. They have a lot of day-two capital as well. You know, it's one of those deals where, based on observing the team last year, Brian Flores got five wins out of that roster. And maybe that gives you some more confidence in his ability to maximize the talent at his disposal and you don't feel like you have to hit every single draft pick, and you can part with one to make sure you get the most important thing the Miami Dolphins will ever do is find their next quarterback. So if I'm Miami, yeah, I'm I'm calling friggin' Washington at two. I don't anticipate Washington trading away from Chase Young, but I would do what I needed to do to make sure I got Mr. Tua Tungavailoa. Last one today comes from Tamil, who says, after following Senior Bowl week and seeing the big receivers – I'm now in the camp of giving Yannick Ngakwe the big contract and maybe using the number 22 pick on the best available edge cornerback or offensive line prospect and draft one or two receivers in the later rounds. I'm particularly interested in both Michael Pittman from USC and Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. Am I often thinking the Bills should spend two middle-round picks on wide receiver considering the need to not only get better but younger at the position? Yeah, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about uh, at the very first part of this podcast is that there's a lot of good receivers this year. We all think it's a very important need. Uh, we need to give Josh Allen everything that we can to help him succeed and give him the best opportunity to keep the offense going and for him to develop. And so it's it's an important need and one that I can get behind using multiple picks, especially if Brandon Bean doesn't get trade happy, move up and part with all his draft capital if he's going to pick nine players then my goodness, use a couple of those draft picks on wide receivers and make sure that you're getting uh, a, a meaningful weapon. Throw a couple darts at the board and see what uh, what sticks. So you know, you've, you've identified a couple guys there in Gandy, Golden, and Pittman that fit that that size profile that we're looking for. That have you know some decent athleticism, but are those true alphas at the catch point? And they're part of a long list, like you said. There, there's a lot of big receivers this year that you know uh, make a lot of sense. So. Go and get a couple of them and get things right and get some real good competition in there and um, get this offense everything it needs to score points like we want it to so that the Bills 
you know, can complement that really that championship caliber defense, championship caliber defense with an offense that can score and um, be a, a more complete football team. That's going to do it for us today. I appreciate you guys sending these items in. As a reminder, you can have your items answered on a Twitter Tuesday by sending to me uh, either via email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com, or on Twitter, hashtag Twitter Tuesday, and at me, at the Joe Marino. Um, send them in whenever you think of them. Now that we're not really in game weeks, um, it's easy for me to kind of compile things as the week goes along and uh, record on Monday. And so I know that I've been a little bit disorganized over the last week with um, obviously the birth of, of um, my baby girl. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm getting back in the swing of things and uh, I'll, I'll be you know better about making sure I respond to everyone and, uh, and get everything compiled. So it's taken a little bit of uh, you know, kind of kicking the rust off the tires and getting organized a bit, but I feel like I'm kind of catching up and we're finding some rhythm and uh, I feel good about kind of where I'm at with work. So uh, that should help me deliver uh, this podcast to you as you've been accustomed to receiving it. Thanks so much for listening. I do kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and I'll be back again for you tomorrow. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.